and I stood up, I'd see a bunch of smiles. Wasn't that so good? All right, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. I titled the message this morning, The Power of His Resurrection. We have two verses in our text, beginning in Philippians 3, verse 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now we know that Paul is a believer here. He's someone who knows Christ. So why is he saying here that I may know him? What Paul is saying here is I want to know more of Christ. I want to experience what I know in my heart. That's what he's saying. I want to experience this vital union with Christ. The word know he uses here, the Greek word know, it means to know, to perceive, to understand. When the Jews talked about the relationship between a husband and a wife, how they're one flesh, this is the word they would use. The husband would know his his wife. And Paul is saying, I want to have this union with Christ. I want to know him so well because we're one. I tell you why that is so important to have this union with Christ. I'm one with Christ. If I'm one with Christ, I did everything the Lord Jesus did as he was a man on earth under the law. I did all those things. I obeyed God's law perfectly. I established righteousness. I've already died to sin and died to justice because I was in Christ when he did them. Now I know those things doctrinally. I want to experience I want to experience the joy of that. And every believer will amen what the apostle said there. I want to know Christ, don't you? I don't want to just know about Christ. I want to know him. I want to be joined to him so that I am what he is. And that's what Paul is talking about in these two verses. You know, when he says, I want to know the fellowship of Christ's suffering. You know he's not saying, I want to suffer like Christ did. Nobody in their right mind wants to suffer like that. Now, a believer would be happy to suffer hatred and ridicule for Christ's sake. I'd be happy to suffer that way because I believe Christ and and I won't compromise him. But Paul's not even talking about that here. What he means is, I want to know. I want to perceive this, that when Christ suffered for my sin, I want to know this, that I suffered in him. Because he's my representative. Everybody knows that Christ died. I mean, the whole world knows Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross. Well, I know that. I want to perceive this and experience it in my heart that when he died, he died for me. I want to be made conformable in Christ's death in this way. I want to have all the benefits, all all the blessings of Christ's suffering and death because when he died, I died in him. Now, what benefits is Paul talking about? What benefits is there to to Christ's death for his people? I thought of of several. There's many, but I'll just list a few. First, there's righteousness. Right? Perfect righteousness. Because of Christ's death for the sin of his people, God's elect are made the righteousness of God in him. He took the sin of his people away from them, and he gave them his righteousness. 
And that righteousness is so important. I can't stand before God without it. I must be righteous for God to accept me. So I strongly desire to be made righteous because of Christ's death for my sin. And I don't want that just to be a doctrinal point that I argue with folks about. You know, what is righteousness? When were you made righteous? I don't want to argue about that. You know what I want to do? I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy the righteousness of Christ, that he is my righteousness. And I tell you how I enjoy it. If I've been made righteous in Christ, I can live without fear of death, without fear of judgment after the death, after death, because Christ is my righteousness. The second blessing I thought of is justification, being made without sin. Listen to two verses, Romans 5, verse 9. Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. We're saved from wrath because he suffered wrath for us. Romans 8.33 Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. Now again, I don't want this matter of justification to be something I argue about. Something that just makes you miserable because you're arguing with somebody about all the time. I want to enjoy it. I want to enjoy some comfort of heart, some assurance of heart and confidence in knowing this, I cannot be charged with sin because Christ was charged for me. I cannot be condemned for my sin because Christ, my substitute, was already condemned for me. Now I want to live enjoying that. I want to know that and experience in my heart and enjoy it. The third blessing I thought of is sanctification. Sanctification is being made perfectly holy, a nature that cannot sin. Well, that comes from the death of Christ. Listen to Hebrews 10, verse 10. For we're sanctified. How? Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Because of his sacrifice, he made his people holy. And that's important because scripture says, without this holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Now, I want to know this. I don't want to just know what holiness is and you know the technicalities of how it was accomplished. I want to know that I'm made holy in Christ my holiness. That he made me holy. I want to enjoy that. There ought to be a sense of calm that I can enjoy. If the Father sees me as holy, there ought to be a sense of calm about that. I want to enjoy rejoicing in Christ Jesus who's made me holy. I look at myself, I don't see one holy thing about me. I don't see one holy, I've never, I can safely make this statement, I've never done a holy thing. Yet this is also true, I can rejoice in Christ Jesus who's made me holy and fear no condemnation for my sin. I want to enjoy that. I want to to experience that for me and for you. And then Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection. Now, what does that, it sounds kind of mysterious. What does that mean, the power of his resurrection? Well, the resurrection of Christ is very, very important. It's vital to the gospel. It's so vital to the gospel, we have no good news to tell if Christ is not raised from the dead. But he is raised from the dead. And since Christ was raised from the dead, this is what we know because of his resurrection, that he accomplished everything he set out to do when he was crucified for the sin of his people. Now, there can't be any salvation. There can be no putting away of sin unless Christ was raised from the dead. 
Well, since Christ is raised from the dead, we know the sin of his people is gone and their salvation is sure and certain. He bought it for us. He put it in the hearts of his people and we can't lose it because of our sin. It's sure and certain because of his resurrection. Now, Paul is saying here, now I want to experience that same power that raised Christ from the dead. I want to experience that power in my heart. I want to be given spiritual life in the new birth. And if I'm given spiritual life in the new birth, I'll tell you what, it's going to take the same power that raised Christ from the dead to cause me to be born again, to cause a new nature to be born in, in me. I want to experience that. I don't want to just know about the resurrection of Christ and know, you know, the technicalities of the new birth that happens through the preaching of the word and God the Holy Spirit gives it. He, he moves where he listeth just like the wind bloweth where it listeth. I don't want to just know all those things. I want to experience that power in my heart. God's given me new life in the new birth. I want to experience these ben benefits of Christ's resurrection from the dead. Now, what, what are those? What are these benefits of Christ's resurrection from the dead? I want to know the power of it. I want to experience the power of it. Well, let me give you six blessings I found in the Word of God. Number one is this. and Every believer can take these things. You take these things home with you. You put them in your lunch bucket and take them to work with you tomorrow. You take them everywhere you go and, and rejoice in these things. Find blessings and comfort for your heart in this. Since Christ arose, redemption is finished for me. For me. Colossians 1, verse 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood. We have redemption, even the forgiveness of sins. Galatians 3, 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Now, the resurrection of Christ, the Father made him to be sin for us. And he died for that sin. Well, the resurrection of Christ is the proof that his blood put away the sin of his people, that it paid the redemption price, and all of his people are redeemed from all of their sin. And by the death of Christ, he took away the curse of the law. He took away the curse of sin from his people forever. So if you trust in Christ alone, your sin's forgiven. Your sin has been put away. If you trust in Christ alone, you are redeemed from the curse of the law. And you can never be condemned. You know why you can never be condemned? There's no sin to condemn you. Christ took it away. It's impossible for you to be condemned. Now think on that. We, we know those things are doctrinally true. But think on the wonder of that. And live your life enjoying that blessing. When Christ cried from the cross, it is finished. You know, that, that means something. That means there's no more work of redemption left to, left to do. It's all complete. Now enjoy. If you believe Christ, enjoy being free from the burden of the law. Don't allow yourself to be put back under the burden of the law and say, well, you know, if you're a believer, you've got to do this, you got to do this. You're free. Christ has made you free from the burden of the law. Enjoy being free from worrying about judgment. I hate it when, when 
preachers put this on people. Well, you know, Christ has paid for your sin, but you're still going to be judged and all your sins are going to be broadcast on the big screen for all the world to see. Won't you be embarrassed? No, sir. No. There's no sin left. <laughs> There's no charge can be brought against you. The resurrection of Christ is proof positive. He put the sin of His people away. Whatever sin was laid on Him is gone. His resurrection proved it. The Father never would have raised Him from the dead again. Now, I want to experience that in my heart. So I live without fear, without worry of the future and judgment and death and all these things. Christ took the sting of it away. He put the sin of it away. Oh, redemption's finished. Well, if it's finished, quit trying to finish it. <laughs> and that, if it's finished, just quit trying to finish it. And rest, enjoy resting in Christ. All right, number two. Since Christ arose, I have the evidence that I'm justified. Now, like I said a minute ago, justified means being made without sin. No sin whatsoever. Now, when I look at myself, I see absolutely no evidence of that whatsoever. Absolutely none. When I look at myself, all I see is sin. But we don't look to ourselves to find the evidence of justification. Because we're never going to find it there. If you want the evidence of justification, tell you what to do. Look to Christ. Look to the resurrected Savior. Look to Him by faith. When I see Christ... That's all the evidence that I need to see I'm justified before God. Romans 4.25 Who was delivered for our offenses. Our offenses, our sins were laid on Him. He was delivered to condemnation and death because of our offenses. And He was raised again for our justification. He was raised again, not for our justification exactly, but He was raised again as proof. He justified His people by His sacrifice for their sins. The Lord Jesus Christ bore all of the sin, all of it, of all of his people on the tree. He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now that's, the, that's what scripture says, why Christ died on the tree. Well, how do you know he got the job done? How do you know he put away the sin of his people? How do you know he made them the righteousness of God in him? His resurrection. It's his resurrection. The father never would have raised the son from the grave if all the sin that was laid on him was still there. But since he put it away by the blood of his sacrifice, the father raised him from the, from the dead. The sin of his people is gone. Now I want to know the power of that. I want to know and experience this. The power of Christ's blood to put away my sin. my sin. I know, I know the doctrine of it now. His blood put away this, all of the sin of all of his people. But I tell you what I'm acutely interested in. The power of his blood to put away my sin. I want, am I included in that? Could, could that possibly be? I want to know the power of his blood to justify me, to make me without sin before God. Now I'm going to live hating my sin. I'm going to live hating it. But I'm also not going to live in fear of it. Because I know I've experienced the power of Christ's blood to put my sin away. Thirdly, look over here at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Since Christ arose, 
This is what I know. The penalty of my sin has been paid in full. Hebrews 9 verse 11. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now the Lord Jesus Christ came and did what no animal sacrifice offered ever did. Christ came and did what all those ceremonies of the law could never do. He paid the price for sin. An animal blood can't pay for our sin, can it? Different blood, different nature. But Christ came in our nature, in our flesh, and by his sacrifice, he paid the price of sin for his people. If Christ shed his blood to pay a debt, this is what I know, the debt's paid. I mean, this is the blood of God's son. How precious is it? How pure, it's the only pure blood, sinless blood ever been on the face of the earth. If he shed his blood, doctrinally, I know this is true, the debt's paid. I know that. But here's what I want to know. I want to know what paid my debt. I want to experience that in my heart. And I want to live free from the burden of the guilt of sin. That's a big statement. I hope I'm saying that right. We ought to hate our sin. And I would feel guilty if my sin caused someone suffering in those things. But now listen, if we believe that Christ died for us, for me, and he rose again for me, I don't have this burden of guilt of sin. I would, I would feel very sorry and guilty if my sin hurt you. But I don't come with this guilt before God like, oh, I'm not constantly trying to do some good deed to, to kind of balance the scales for my evil. I've done this evil, I better do some good to, to at least try to balance the scales. I want to live free from that. By God's grace, Janet and I are able to pay our bills. It's just very important to me we pay our bills on time. So you know one thing I never worry about Ever. I don't worry about a bill collector because they're all paid. I want to know this, what Paul's talking about. Experience this in my heart. I'm not living in fear of a spiritual bill collector coming and taking something away from me or punishing me somehow in this life to, to make me pay for my sin. Christ paid the debt. Quit being afraid of it. Quit being, there is no debt. Christ paid it. I want to live enjoying that freedom from worry, don't you? I want to enjoy the freedom that that uh, debt can, can put on you and just trust Christ. That's the only, only way you can have that freedom is by enjoying trusting Christ. And then I'll serve Him out of love. Not because I'm trying to balance the scales, but I'll serve Him out of love. All right, here's the fourth thing. Since Christ arose, I have the new birth. Now the new birth is vital, vital to salvation. It's so vital 
there's no salvation without the new birth. Unless there's a new, holy, righteous nature born in us, there is no salvation. I think I mentioned this Wednesday night. I just utterly despise this, that people, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if he's listed third when we, we mentioned the, the, the Holy Trinity, that the, the work of the Holy Spirit is just not as important, you know. Well, I, man was arguing with me about that one day. I said, well, I'll tell you what. You try to awaken Christ's likeness and glory without it. It's impossible. The Father, he elected a people unto salvation. But election by itself is not salvation. Christ the Son died. He shed his blood to redeem a people and put their sin away. But the sacrifice of Christ alone, by itself, is not enough to redeem. The Holy Spirit must apply the blood of Christ to our hearts. That's the new birth. When he applies the blood of Christ to our hearts, that's the new birth. The salvation of a sinner requires the work of all three persons of the Godhead. If a genuine sinner is going to be saved, the Father has to elect them. He has to choose to save them, doesn't he? Because we'd never choose God if he didn't choose us first. God the Son must pay the sin debt for those people because we can't pay it. He's the only one who can. If we would be saved, Christ must pay our sin debt. And thirdly, God the Holy Spirit must apply that blood. He must give us life, spiritual life. He must give us faith in Christ or we'll never be saved. See, the salvation of a real sinner, a dead sinner, requires all three, doesn't it? Well, since Christ arose, the regeneration, the new birth for God's elect is guaranteed because now the Spirit has blood to apply. And since Christ arose, he also has life to apply. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. And like I said earlier, that life, that new life is given by the same power that it took to raise Christ from the dead. 1 Peter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again, caused us to be born again unto a lively hope, a living hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how it's given. Now I know the doctrine of the new birth. I can hardly remember a time in my life not knowing the doctrine of the new birth. But I want to experience it. Don't you? I want to experience the power of it in me when God the Holy Spirit gives me spiritual life so that I believe Christ, so I enjoy resting in Him, so I enjoy hearing the gospel preached, so, so that I have both the desire and the enjoyment to, to come before our Father in prayer. I want to experience that in me. You know, in, in every believer, there's two natures, an old man and a new man. Now my old man, that nature of sin that I received when I was conceived in the womb, that old man gives me trouble, gives me heartache. I feel his presence every day. Don't you? Don't you just feel the presence of that old man? Just He's dead, he's stinking, he's filthy, he's trying to bring you in the, back into captivity to the, to the law. I feel his presence all the time. 
Well, if I've got a new man in me, I want to feel and enjoy his presence too. The presence of the new man. It's not just that God gives life and faith in Christ and the new birth. I want to enjoy it. We ought to enjoy believing Christ. We ought to enjoy trusting Him. We ought to enjoy. He's given me life. Spiritual life. So I understand the gospel. I, I, I believe Christ. I really do. I believe Him. I can't explain that. We just sung that. I don't know how that happened. When it happened. But I know I do. I enjoy that. I have to live in this body of sin. No, no, no choice. But I want to enjoy seeing Christ by faith. I want to enjoy trusting Him. I want to enjoy the presence of Christ in this life until I go home and be with Him face to face. Now, isn't that a blessing to be able to enjoy that now? That you can enjoy hearing the gospel preached, that you can worship Him, that, a, that another sinful man can get up here and, and read the Scripture and expound the Scriptures and, and you can see Christ and you can worship. Isn't that a blessing? I want to live enjoying that. All right, here's the fifth thing. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Since Christ arose, I walk in newness of life right now. First Corinthians 6 verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous should not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you're washed. But you're sanctified. But you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, have you ever... Um, been working a hot, dirty job. I told you about this holly bush I was cutting cutting up yesterday. And boy, I tell you, after an hour of that, I, I was taking a break. And I, I told Janice, what did men down there at that mill do? Working that hot? They couldn't take a break every 15 minutes you know, like I'm doing. You're working a hot, dirty job. You just work till you get the job done or work till your shift is up. And then you go take a shower. You get all clean, you get that filth and that sweat and that grime off of you and you put on some clean, fresh clothes and doesn't it feel so, it just feels so much better, doesn't it? That is exactly what a believer enjoys spiritually. We've been washed. We've been washed in the blood of Christ. We've been washed from all of our filth, the filth and grime of our sin, the, the awfulness of it. And we've been dressed in his spotless robe of righteousness. Not that's the doctrine, I know. I mean, I know that. But I want to experience that. I want to experience it. Just it feels so good. I and I know I've got to live in this body of sin, and all I ever do is sin. But I'll tell you what, I want to live like I've been washed. I want to live like that uh, I care something about the glory of Christ and, and live after Him, not after the lust of, of my sinful nature. Look what Paul says here in verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That is the heartfelt desire of every believer. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price, and I want to live in a way that glorifies my Savior. I don't want to bring shame on his gospel and reproach upon his gospel. And listen, I know my conduct won't be perfect. I'm not putting a burden on you now to make your conduct you know, so perfect. But this is true. If I've been washed in the blood of Christ, there ought to be some evidence of it, don't you reckon? If there's a new man in my heart, there ought to be some evidence shown in my conduct. For the believer... There's a new sheriff in town. I I just I enjoy those old westerns. And then you know how they are. There's always a bad guy in a black hat. You know he's the big rich guy causing trouble in all the town, and and he's got the sheriff in his hip pocket doing always what what the rich evil guy wants to do. And then a new sheriff comes in town. And he starts straightening stuff up, doesn't he? Well, there's a new sheriff in town, in this body. In your body, the body of a believer. There's a new sheriff in town. He ain't got rid of all the criminals yet. That old man, he's still hanging around. But the streets ought to be a little safer, don't you reckon? The streets ought to be a little safer. On gun smoke, the streets are safer, aren't they? They ought, they ought to be a little safer. There's a new sheriff in town. My conduct's not going to be perfect, but if Christ rules in my heart, now there need to be a change. And that's not a burden to the believer. That's a blessing. I don't want to live like this world, do you? I want to live like Christ. All right, here's the last thing. Since Christ arose, I'm going to be raised from the dead one day in glorified flesh, just like him. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a lengthy passage, but I'm going to read it because the Word of God says it way better than I could. 1 Corinthians 15. You know, some there in Corinth were questioning and saying, oh, there's no resurrection of the dead. And Paul's telling them how vital it is to the gospel that there is a resurrection, resurrection of Christ and resurrection of his people. Look here at verse 35. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool. That which thou sowest is not quickened except to die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies. And bodies terrestrial. But the, the glory of the celestial is one. But the glory of the terrestrial is another. 
There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differeth from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. What's going to be raised is not what's sowed. Just like you take a, a grain of corn and you, oh, dried thing, you'd crack your teeth if you tried to chew it, wouldn't you? You plant that in the ground, but what comes up is not what you put in there. It's a whole stock of corn, big old luscious ears. and That's what Paul's saying here. We're going to bury an old dead corrupt body, but that's not what's coming out of the ground. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It's sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it's written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we bore in the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, see here, this must happen, this resurrection and glorified flesh. This I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that's written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brethren, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, you can't have a, a more clear declaration of the doctrine of the resurrection there, can you? I understand that. Everybody, everybody's paying any attention can understand that because it's clear as, as day. But here's what I want to know. I want to know the power of that resurrection. And I know we can't experience the actual power of it till you know, one day when, when the Lord comes back and, and, and we're you know, raised in incorruptible bodies. And, and that day we'll have experienced the power of the bodily resurrection, won't we? But I don't have to wait till then to enjoy it. I can enjoy it now. I can look forward to that with anticipation now. And here's how we look forward to the resurrection with, with some enjoyment. This life is not all there is. This old body is not all there is. There's something a whole lot better coming. You know, I know we're all sad when we go to the cemetery and we bury one of our loved ones. 
You know, if they're if they trusted Christ, we're not sad for them. We're sad for ourselves, aren't we? We're gonna miss them, and we're sad. But next time you're out there at that cemetery and you're feeling that sadness, you remember this. That sadness is not all there is either. No, one day there's great joy coming in that place where we've gone to bury our dead. That goodbye is not all there is. A great resurrection's coming. And we're not going to be raised in old broke down bodies like these. <laughs> we're going to be raised in a body. Just like the body of Christ our Savior. And there'll be no more goodbyes. And for the believer, we can be able to enjoy that now. To enjoy seeing Christ by faith now. I know it's through a glass darkly. For the Spirit enables you to see Christ through that glass darkly by faith. Doesn't that thrill your soul? Adam doesn't that be able to make you make it to Wednesday. You see him through a glass darkly. But you know what? Even that seeing through a glass darkly, that's not all there is either. A believer looks forward to this day of the resurrection. When the Lord returns, he raises us in a glorified body. And you know what we'll do then? Worshiping face to face. No more frosted glass. No more faith. Seeing him face to face. Now I can tell you. I can look forward to that. I can look forward to that with great anticipation. And if I keep my focus on that. On what Christ has accomplished for us. What he's bringing to us. What he's given us. That's going to make all these dark days that we go down through here. A whole lot more tolerable. Because my focus is not, this is not all there is. I'm looking to Him. He's all there is. I'm looking to Him. Oh, if we could see that. Experience the power of His resurrection. That's a blessing. All right, let's bow together. Our Father, oh, how we thank You for Your Word. How we thank You that Your Word declares things that are greater than the human imagination could ever comprehend. That the Son of God, the Prince of Glory, would become flesh and sacrifice Himself to suffer and die the death His people deserve because of our sin. To put our sin away and that He would be raised from the dead. Raised to never die again. Raised as the justification of his people. Raised as the surety of his people. Oh, Father, how we thank you. How we thank you for him. How we thank you that he is everything that we need. And, Father, I pray you take your word as it's been preached. And by the power of your spirit, you would apply it to each heart here. That we could leave here knowing Christ by experience experiencing Him, the power of His resurrection in our heart. And leave here finding our joy, our hope, our peace, our comfort in Him. Father, it's in His precious name. For His sake we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.